0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Checkpoint, the podcast highlighting and telling the stories of influential leaders in and around the sports industry. Today, we're excited to welcome our next guest, Hakeem Valez. Might have got that wrong or right. Hakeem is a former NFL tight end who played three seasons in the league with starting with the Arizona Cardinals, the Detroit Lions and the New York Giants before hanging up his cleats. Hakeem is currently back to pursuing his real estate investing career, giving keynote speeches, all while growing his new company, Perspective Global Media. We have a lot to unpack today on today's episode, and I'm excited to dive in and get a backstage pass to this incredible journey. Hakeem currently resides in St. Louis, Missouri, but for the next 45 minutes, he's here with us on Checkpoint. Hakeem, my man, welcome to the show.
1: How are you doing this morning? Scott, what's going on, my friend? I'm doing great. I uh, appreciate you having me on the show.
0: Man, we are excited to have you, um, you know, for all you first time listeners out there, just to give you a little breakdown of what we're going to be doing over the next 45 minutes. Um, we're going to use today as a real checkpoint and we're going to you know, start to unpack Akeem's journey um, from New Jersey, you know, through college and through the league. Um, we're going to learn a little bit more about what he's building and what he's doing today. And then based on all that experience, where he sees the world going over the next 6, 12, 18 months. So, um, you know, Hakeem, we got to take advantage of every minute we got with you. So let's go all the way back to New Jersey. You and your brother, Max, growing up. Um, let's start there. Who are you and how did you end up uh, where you're at today?
1: Yeah, yeah. I always pride my journey. Uh on self-awareness just always knowing who i was um always proud of myself being an entrepreneur and an athlete you know growing up three sport athlete baseball basketball football hockey karate soccer you name it we did it um yeah. three three boys in the house super competitive um as the years progressed, you know, I realized I had some type of X factor in terms of drive within me it was in middle school. They cut our sports program and I knew I wanted to go to the NBA back in the day because basketball is my favorite sport. And I asked my dad every morning, well, I asked him if he could take me every morning to L.A. Fitness so I could put shots up and run with the older guys in the gym at 12, 13 years old at four in the morning every single day. And that was because I wanted to go to the NBA because I wanted to go to Duke University and uh, ball out and be like the next guy in that sense. Uh, But as the years progressed back to self-awareness, you know, I've been an entrepreneur since forever. Back in middle school, I was that kid in class who was selling Skittles and all that type of (laughs) stuff. And when I went from high school to college, I was a, uh, I started an iPhone repair business and I used to fix like three to four phones a day. And you know, as those years progressed in college, you know, I was a bench player, rode the bench. My first three years of school, zero catches. will get in for onside kick and, like, when it's time to take a knee. Um, senior year, I just wanted to get an NBA for free because I knew I wasn't going to play yeah, um, or really get, like, be a guy. So I, senior year, went to, uh, went to the coaches and see if I could move. I was playing receiver at the time, see if I could move to tight end. Um And it was day nine of camp, moved to tight end, put on 30 pounds that month. And first game of my senior year, I got my first catch. Second game, I got my first touchdown and started every game from there. Um, And, you know, from there, you know, my journey just continued to progress, Um, made it to the Arizona Cardinals, stuck with real estate, bought properties in in every market, every team I played for. Um, After the 2018 season ended, I couldn't be the entrepreneur I wanted to be. Uh, I have a two-year-old daughter now. I couldn't be the father I wanted to be and play in the NFL and ultimately made the decision to walk away. Um, And in that year, scaled my business. Uh, got 12 employees now. And uh, me and the mother of my child actually separated and it it brought me a lot of mental clarity um, to be in a place where I'm actually trying to make a comeback now and uh, play again. But from the day-to-day now, yeah, I I, I operate a a 12-person media company.
0: So you're you're looking to get back into it, huh? So you're training, and you know during this time of COVID, have you been using it just to sort of put your head down and get back to the grindstone?
1: Yep. Uh, one of my buddies has got a gym in his basement. Uh, I've got a weight vest. I've got a bike that my daughter can actually sit on the front of, so we bike at least every day, um, at least once a day. Um, one of my, my company does a deal with a uh, a meal prep company, and they uh, I get like fifteen meals a week for free, which is nice. Um, so trying to get it right, you know?
0: I love it, man, I love it. Well, you were really, you know, you really glossed over a lot that we wanna go and back and unpack, right? So mm-hmm. so let's go back to high school football, right? You know, you're, you got that entrepreneurial spirit, you're progressing on the field. And from what I read, I mean, it looked like you were balling in high school, right? Like, I mean, you were doing your thing in New Jersey and then you only get one scholarship offer coming out, what was that like mentality wise, where you had this vision of going, you know, being at, you know, on the NBA or the NFL. And then it's like the reality sitting in of like, hey, only one team wants me right now. You know, mentality wise, how did that affect you as you were in that transition there?
1: It was I've always had that underdog mindset. So it was, on, it was always like a you'll see type of mindset. But it was yep. for me, it was high school was rough towards the me. I mean. Football wise, we weren't the best team. I think we've won three games over my four years being there. Yeah. Uh but my senior year, two days before the first game, like that summer. I don't know if any athletes watching that summer, going into senior years the year, you go to all the camps, the uh recruit camps, you know, work your face off, a whole bunch of people blow smoke and all that. And did that the entire summer. And Was had a lot of interest in a lot of schools. So, like, the top was, like, Boston College, UConn, University of Delaware, Temple, and Monmouth. And Monmouth gave me an offer, like, a week after doing their camp. And all those other schools wanted to really see, like, my first three games and wanted to offer after that. And two days before the first game, we are doing I was a safety as well as a quarterback at the time my senior year. And we were doing a, a hit and drill. And somebody tried to jump over me, and I grabbed their foot. And my uh, labrum, I tore my labrum, essentially, and it was out my entire senior year. Didn't get to play my senior year. Every school stopped answering the phone. And mom, it's the only school that just honored uh, the commitment. And, but mentally, I mean, it was rough. It was, it was like back to back to back to back to back things it was I was in boarding school. I hurt my shoulder. Like next week, my roommate gets kicked out. Next week, break up with my girlfriend of like three years, and it was just like boom, boom, boom. It was it was crazy for a little bit, but mentally, it was it was definitely a grind. Um, but at the time, I was just ready to to do my thing and be re- like, I was mentally just trying to get my body in the good enough shape after recovering from the surgery because I wasn't recovered until <laughs> I hurt in September. Didn't have the surgery because they tried to rehab it before getting the surgery. Didn't have the surgery until November and didn't recover from that until you know february march and then the whole spring just kind of really on the grind getting ready so i I can show up as a freshman uh ready to play
0: man i tell you those injuries right like we see them as such detriments but i think they breed opportunity to pour that that energy all that feeling that you have you got to put it somewhere right so a lot of people especially athletes will pour it into rehab to try and get back but from what i understand man you were running sort of two parallels right so you were you know, busting your ass to get back on the field and be right for, you know, for your college experience, but you were also pursuing that entrepreneurial spirit, right? So like both of these are running in, in tandem there. So when you get over to Monmouth and and you start you start going there, you're not playing your first couple of years. Uh, did you see, or, or did you experience putting that energy more into the business and trying to grow the real estate side of things? Or what, like, how was that balance there as you were sort of going through that journey, you know, your first couple of years?
1: Uh, it was, yeah, I probably put a little bit more towards real estate at the time. It was like, at first it was, like right when I got on campus, it was iPhone. So my, that summer, my little brother broke his iPhone four for like 10 time. And Amazon. Join the club. <laughs> Amazon Prime <laughs> hadn't even come out yet. Um, I essentially went on YouTube. They had a whole bunch of instructional videos. It was like the thing at the time. And it took me about six hours to take his phone apart and put it back together. And when I pressed the lock button and it worked, I was just like the light bulb. The light bulb just went off in my head. And I was like, that's a business because the new screen only cost me 30 bucks and they were charging 100 bucks at the mall at the time. So I you know, stepped on the campus and was the iPhone repair guy. I fixed three to four phones a day and ran with that. My, my degree was business with a concentration in real estate and the girl I was dating just her dad just started a house flipping business and he took me under his wing. We flipped about 10 houses together uh, up in North Jersey. So it was from a football standpoint, like, I mean, I, I based my schedule around real estate. So it was, we had practice mid afternoon. I would go up North Jersey from like 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. I'd be at practice with pain on my legs and on my face and all that type of stuff because I was just coming back from, from essentially getting it in Um summers leading up to like summers before me and my ex broke up and that whole real estate thing kind of ended with her dad. I probably could have spent more time on campus working out, but I would, I could really triple down on the real estate side and just be with my ex's dad, like all day. And I was more into that honestly. And uh, yeah, but yeah,
0: no. and, And it's cool. You know, I mean, we talk to athletes from Olympians to NFL folks to, you know, I mean, pro BMXers. And I think what's really interesting is you have sort of cracked the code right because not like their identity typically is just wrapped up all around this sport and and i think your story is really interesting because you made it to the highest level in a really non-traditional way fighting that underdog you know mental or embracing that underdog mentality But now that football has, you know, hung up for you for a couple of years, it's not like there was this big drop off, right? Like you still are Hakeem. You still had all these other assets to fall back on. And so I'm curious as you were going through your venture, you know, with other teammates, coaches, et cetera, were there any mentors in the locker room that stuck out to you that were sort of helping you uh, or that understood your, the path that you were taking?
1: A couple of people understood the path I was taking, you know, you, NFL or college? NFL?
0: Yeah, let's go NFL. Yeah.
1: NFL, yeah, I, I definitely would say so. College was more... No one really knew what I was doing. Um, yeah. Same with NFL, but I, I had about two guys. Darren Fells and Afani Moma were just my my right-hand guys. And Darren invested in real estate himself. Um, and Mo was just always interested. And we still talk about different things and investments and things like that today. But I... I regrettably didn't really talk about what I was doing while I was playing because I was so head down. And then on top of that, trying to get a job and not trying to, you know, insecure about if I put out stuff, is the team going to cut me? Like it was a, it was kind of me just, let me just be quiet, go under the radar. You know, people don't know who I am. Let me just, I'm going to, people are going to know who I am in the real estate space. I could really care less about the football side. And that's, the the approach I took as soon as I left the facility I was in real estate conversations and dinners at networking events at meetups touring people's properties doing stuff with my own properties um and really just outside of that football bubble yeah
0: no, that's really and I mean it's usually the 180 right like once people make it to the league it's like hey I'm in the league right now I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid from yeah. you know sun up to sundown so I think this is really you know this is really interesting to me now um I want to I get behind the scenes a little bit here from that underdog mentality as, you know, coming from college to the pros as that undrafted, right? You know, that undrafted to Arizona. What was that journey like? You know, because I think a lot of people only think about, you know, first round, second round draft picks, but we don't ever get a chance to really hear the behind the scenes of the, the business side of the NFL from a undrafted free agent perspective. So if you don't mind just shedding a little light for the listeners on what the, you know, what that journey is really like, uh, I'm, I'm genuinely curious myself.
1: Yeah, yeah the undrafted journey was, it was it's, it's definitely wild. Um, as an underdog, yeah, I mean, I had three touchdowns under a thousand yards for my total college career stats. So I knew I was definitely going into it as an underdog. My biggest inspiration was a guy named Chris Hogan, who plays receiver now for the Jets, but he played lacrosse at Penn State for four years. So he got a late start when it came to football. He transferred to Monmouth his final year and only had 12 catches. I don't think he had any touchdowns and played offense and defense, but he balled out on his pro day. He ran a 4-4 and got 28 reps to 225 and was able to – go undrafted. I don't I don't know where he went originally, but he he messed, he bounced around the league till he made his name in with uh New England. Um and one I think he won like at least two Super Bowl rings with Tom. Yeah. That was my motivation on some like, you know, if this dude I think I'm better than can do it. I can do it. And then my little brother watching him go to the NFL, same thing on mindset. I mean he was more of a a freak athlete, had a scholarship from damn near every school in the country, like got drafted. His sophomore year of college, like, could have couldn't even buy a drink once he made it to the NFL. Um, really? Yeah, but watching that, you know, the same kid used to share a bathtub with, grew up with every day. Make it. It's like that's a huge big time. If he can do it, I can do it. And don't really care about any other outside opinions. Um, and it was just working my face off. So that you know, January through April, you know, put down the alcohol and put down everything else. And put my head down and really just grind it. I was the cliche, first guy in, last guy out, stayed extra with the the quarterback coach who was coaching uh younger high school kids as well, like after our session. So I would just be the dummy and just stand in place and catch balls for him all day. Um, but the process was a grind. It was a very practical journey with my trainers. They were like, look. These are your starting numbers. We'll be able to get you these numbers if you do X, Y, and Z. And after doing X, Y, and Z, I, I, I got it. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals weren't interested until the week of the draft. Like, they weren't at my pro day, nothing. And got a call from their assistant GM and was like, I, my son has a soccer game on the East Coast. Um, would love to sneak up to Mammoth, to work you out, hang out with you for the day if you've got some time. Um, I'm like, duh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> spend, the, spend the day with them, work out. And I, I did my thing, my agent and him and my eight a- and my quarterback coach and him, uh, really hit it off. And it was, it was like, I knew I, I wanted to go to Arizona. I didn't know if it was going to happen. And he pretty much was like, we're going to take you in the seventh round and we're going to take you undrafted. And I was like, awesome. And draft day, third day of draft day comes around and Seventh round comes around, and the the Redskins were about to actually draft me. And I was actually like, I didn't want to get drafted because they just paid Jordan Reed like a ridiculous amount of money, and I knew I was just going to be a camp body in that sense. Yeah. um, So as crazy as it sounds, I'm like, man, I hope the Redskins don't draft me or the the football team doesn't draft me. I can't say Redskins. Um, And then the Cardinals call, and I'm like, oh, snap, they're about to draft me. And they were like, look, I told you I was going to be honest with you. We're going defense seventh round, but we're going to take you undrafted as soon as the the draft ends. And as soon as it ended, got all, you know, it was, it was, it was awesome. It was an awesome feeling. Was it,
0: was there that moment where you're just like, man, I I made it. Like, you know, because I think so many times we get wrapped up in like, what's next, what's next, what's next. Like, had you ever take a step back at that point and be like, Holy shit. Like I'm, I'm going to be going to the Arizona Cardinals.
1: There was that moment, but there was also the moment of like I made it, but it's also time to really work because most people think it's just like, you know, you go undrafted, you get you go get drafted, and then it's like you're in, you're an NFL player where your average person just has a cup of coffee where they go from either draft day to end of camp, and then that's it, or draft yeah. day, rookie mini camp weekend, get cut, and that's it. And I knew I didn't want, I, I'm big on like, I don't want to over celebrate and stay grounded until actually, no, this is legit. And that's, you know, I was a long journey from April to September and then uh, made it. Cause I mean, my first, first week, second week, OTA is crazy. I was just telling somebody the story yesterday. I caught like a diving pass and separated my shoulder and like couldn't feel, like, I literally couldn't feel my arm. And I was just like, I'm not about to get cut or they they do injury settlements as well. where it's just like, you know, here's 30,000 you're out of the door. That's it. And I was like, I got to keep playing. I couldn't lift my arm and like next play was a running play. So I just blocked with like one arm next play. I knew I was in the flat. It was like a bootleg. And I was like, I hope he doesn't throw it to me. Hope he doesn't throw it to me. Hope he doesn't throw it to me and throws it to me. Can't lift my other arm, but just like one hand snag it and just like start going and like, after that the trainers pulled me out and like i was out for a few weeks but like the coaches were like super like happy that i stayed in after something like that happened it was a interesting defining moment at the, at the uh, beginning of my, my journey with the cards
0: i can almost guarantee it that if you don't have the journey from high school on the bench in three years you know it's sort of that underdog mentality all the way through I think a lot of people and myself, man, I'd be like, yo, coach, I'm out, right? And then it's like, it, you don't even think about it. It's like, man, we I made it here. 100%. Nothing's taken me off this
1: field. Well, for me too, it goes a little bit deeper with, I, you know, between my senior year and my fifth year in college, everything mentally for me changed when So I went on a missionary trip to Haiti and our mission was to give out medicine to different churches and orphanages across the country. And while we were down there, to make a long story short, our compound got ambushed uh, by eight guys. They shot through the front door, got shot at point-blank range, hogtied, hands tied behind my back, feet tied at my ankles, blindfolded. And they robbed. They stole everything from us. And essentially, uh, 45 minutes of hell came to peace with the fact that I was dead, and I was covered in piss, didn't even realize it, and ultimately came to peace with the fact that, you know, like I said, I was going to die and overcoming that traumatic experience and making it out of that for me has always been a a that inflection point that I can always come back to no matter what's going on whether it's football or training is hard and you're about to puke or whatever it's you're not dead you know you lose a client in your business you're not dead your girlfriend leaves you you're not dead so it's like a it's the ultimate inflection point that I can always come back to. It's like my secret weapon, you know, we're running gassers or training and everybody's complaining and all that type of stuff. And it's just like, it's really not, it's a, it's a, it's a massive mindset shift, but I always challenge people to just find that, you know, inflection point that you overcame in your own life to, uh, you know, frame against your everyday struggles. Oh,
0: I mean, we could drop the mic and just be done right uh-huh. there, man. I think that is, um, you knew there was some secret sauce behind this, you know, and um, and it's unfortunate because there's, you know, those circumstances are usually traumatic. They're usually yeah. like right on the fringe of, you know, near death. But if you're able to embrace that change and embrace the mindset moving forward, it ultimately makes you a stronger human as you go through this journey. And so that's incredible, man. I had no clue. You know, I, uh, I they don't tell you that on the Internet when you're doing a little research. About uh-huh, yourself. Uh-huh. So, uh, OK, well, this is uh, this is all starting to make some more sense now. Now, I want to unpack just, you know, the point in your journey where you start to really come on the scene in the NFL, right? So you get with Jim Caldwell when you're in Detroit, Um, you know, I'm excited to hear what that locker room was like when you got there. And then, you know, based on all that experience that you've had up to this point when Patricia took over, I know that you had, um, you know, different philosophies and views um, with the way the locker room went curious to sort of get behind the scenes there. You know, what was that journey like for you in Detroit, um, which ultimately led to you, you know, stepping away from the game?
1: It was the Jim Carlos man. My best description of him is just a gentleman's gentleman. He's uh, one of the ultimate leaders that I've ever met. Only got to work with him from September to December, but I've never seen a coach in any setting uh, have the ability to command the attention of you know 75 grown men who are making more money than him, and actually you know in any team you've ever been on you and your teammates aren't talking about or excited about or can't wait for the next team meeting like that's just not the type of talk that goes that's not locker room talk in any type of way shape or form but with jim caldwell his meetings were that i don't even know what the best were invigorating uh like he just poured into you every time yeah. he had the opportunity to speak everybody like yo can't wait for what do you call this meeting today like verbal about it like that you never see anything like that and that was cool to experience uh he was the ultimate players coach uh in that sense um obviously there was a change of power that next offseason um you know matt patricia as a as 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 a as a man i i have no quarrels against that dude i think he's an honestly he's a stand-up guy off the field um and outside the locker room but you know I'm sure you've seen the, the the articles and press clippings about you know some things that I've slipped out on my, my thought process on him, but it's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's built, you know he's built some a culture based around fear. I don't know if he's continued that since I've been gone. Um, you know, they don't they, their season hasn't been looking that great. I mean, they, they snuck that win in last week against the Cardinals. Um, but it was a massive change up. Like i would, like if, if you have 75 guys who actually accept that type that style of coaching, like you you're you're gonna be the Super Bowl champ, but it's hard, you have to understand how to deal with players when you have a lot more egos involved and you have a lot more money involved and you have a lot more situations involved. There's no cookie cutter style of coaching that you can just put on people unless you're Bill Belichick. And you can't act like you're Bill Belichick. Uh, it's, it's evident when you're when you're not being who you are
0: so I, I think that's you know and and the only reason I go down that rabbit hole is because now you're running a business um, and you're at the reins right and so I think so much of leadership is perspective and what you have the ability to absorb by reading and then what you practically have the ability to experience through throughout and so um you know it the Bill Belichick's and the Nick Saban's of the world, very much process oriented. You know, I talked to guys that played for these coaches and you can make that one handed catch and you don't even get a good job. It's just, Hey, that's what you're supposed to do versus like a Jim Caldwell where, you know, you do what you're supposed to do and it's a fun loving environment where it's like you really get that team culture. So I'm curious what nuggets that you've taken as you now transition into building your businesses. Um, are there any that stick out to you from, you know, those locker room experiences or times on the field um, that directly translate into your management style as you're growing your ventures now?
1: You could say a lot, some of it. you could say Jim Caldwell maybe, but a lot of it you can't, it's hard to compare football to, you can compare football to business, but when it comes from a leadership angle, football, you can just get mother f to death and that be your motivation. You're not doing that, you know, to your your business, your, your employees, you're not doing that. You can
0: you. say it, man. You get motherfucked on that field, man. Okay, yeah. It is it is a different experience, man. It's
1: I a uh completely different experience in terms of what the motivation is driven by, and as a leader. When it's your business you can't expect your employees to have the same exact passion that you have for your business at the end of the day um and i think the accountability aspects coaches you know and their pressers might take accountability you know after the game if they lost in that sense uh but at the end of the day players are getting blamed for most losses when it comes to an nfl you know type of game whereas when it's when it's your business, anything that goes wrong is that's your fault. At the end of the day, it's, you know, whether it's a leak, or whether it's you lost a client, or whether it's someone you hired that hired somebody else that messed up, or whether it's something granular, the whole business is done or something of that sort, like, it's your fault versus the employee's fault, or so Like at the end of the day, you hired them. And most people aren't willing to take that level of accountability. But with me, I've tried to just build a culture around like, I mean, honestly, just around kindness and around like being real humans. And like, like, I can't, I don't know how to even, I don't know how to go deeper in that. Cause it's like a, it's more of a feeling than a word. Um, but it's like, we're trying to create, we're trying to create real culture. Like, I mean, last week we had two, two employees come out and uh, what do you call it? I, my, my office is in my garage. Um, but stay that stay stay the week at my house and just get some work done here. And it was so awesome. Like, I'm going to rotate through the, the other 10 employees as well and have them all come out for a week, spend the week with me, stay in the guest room and just kick it and just learn more about each other and, and really build a culture and a community. Um, because the stuff that our company does is at the, for my opinion, it's all teachable. Um, so I don't need any experts or somebody who's a, like, I hired somebody the other day. Listen to this. I hired somebody the other day. This dude cold called me at midnight, at midnight, asking me to come on his podcast. Because I think my, Instagram, <laughs> my phone number is in my Instagram bio. So I get a call from a 215 number. I'm like, because I'm from South Jersey, and 215 is Philly. And I'm like, who the hell is calling me? And I'm like wide awake. So it's not like I'm not going to answer I'm like, all right, let me see who this is. And I answer it. And the kid's like, hello? I didn't think you were going to answer. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and he was like uh this is kyle i I, uh, I just i just dm'd you too i just wanted to see if you maybe wanted to uh come on as a guest on my podcast and like my initial reaction i'm like this motherfucker just called me at fucking t- midnight the balls <laughs> it takes to do something like that and i like literally take like three seconds and i'm like that takes some real fucking balls. And we we are out like our sales strategy is cold calling and we do like LinkedIn outreach as well. And I was just like, that took some real balls. First of all, yes, I'll come on your show. And I was like, let's do it tomorrow, like straight up. And are you looking for a job? And I was like, because I mean I need <laughs> I'm I'm a big proponent on hire fast and fire faster, because like you'll know on the back end. But yeah, I hired him at the end of the day because it was just like <laughs> pissed me off for a half a second and it was just like man fortune favors the bold uh at the end of the day so he uh he got himself a job
0: man (laughs) that is that is a story i I mean you could write a a book on that and i think you could take that to people that are in covid land right now that are making a million one excuses about you know no opportunities etc etc i think that uh it's out there right but uh fortune features the bold fortune favors features the favors. favors there we go favors the And i love that i'm going to i'm going to steal that from you because that is so true right you got to just be become comfortable in the uncomfortable and it's pandora's box what's out there so so this is interesting so now we're starting to understand your journey and it's all making a lot more sense from from you know early days to high school to college sort of getting an idea of where you're at in the pros let's transition right so you Obviously had your real estate business growing through this whole time. What sparked the the sparking or, or what sparked the media company, the keynote speaking? How did you sort of build that? And what are you currently working on right now?
1: Yeah. Uh it was a realization that I was, I mean, the first spark of it all was honestly Gary V. I, I knew who he was, but I wasn't consuming enough of his content. And towards the end of my career, I started to go a little bit deeper on his thoughts on insecurity and on content and on how to take advantage of all the attention that's out there to ultimately get across what you want to get across. And I, when I retired, I had the realization that I've, you know, I've, I've, I've been wildly insecure these past three, four years because the content that I've been putting out is look at me. I'm with Larry Fitzgerald. Look at me. I'm at the club. Look at me. I'm in a football NFL football uniform versus actually leaving a legacy and telling my truths of, actually trying to bring value to my audience and decide what that legacy is going to be. Because, you know, I, I bought my first property on my own in 2017 and didn't talk about it for, until two years later. And I, I wouldn't say I missed out on an opportunity because the first time I posted about it after I was retired, I made a, I I was speaking and I put out a one minute clip on how I used an FHA loan to buy a property and on LinkedIn that clip got 55,000 views. It was like it's kind of sc- not screwed up. Cause like some people, you know, their journey kind of goes like that when it's building on content, but it was like first post I put out got 55,000 views, like a guest on 20 podcasts, five paid speaking gigs from that, uh, all different types of inbound opportunities. Next post got 20 views. Next post got 40 views. Next post got 70 views. And the next one got 88,000 views. And I really started to believe content at that point. Um, and for me, from a speaking standpoint, I always was interested in the speaking realm. I, you know, in high school, at boarding school, I was the student body president. So you still have to address the school once a week, which was always, uh, I mean, it wasn't fear. It was, it, I was naturally comfortable doing that, which was just understanding your own bodily chemicals is something you can double down on and take advantage of. Um, I, you know, I'm trying to think what off season it was. So the, 2017 offseason, I think uh, NFL does all these different academies and they do a uh, one's called just a speaker's bureau out in LA on USC's campus. And it's like, you spend a week there learning how to build your brand and, and uh, figure out ways to actually utilize, like take advantage of the fact that you're an NFL player, whether it's speaking opportunities and how to get those opportunities. And while I was there, uh met a guy who's one of the, the instructors named Marcus Ogden. And he, uh, he He's amazing, of course, oh, yeah. man. Great dude. Ogden's the man. So Marcus, after like when I knew I was about to retire, I hired him to be my speaking coach. So, like end of December, uh, took him on. Well, he took me, I don't know how to, whatever you want to call it, took me on as a client. Yeah. And January we started working together. I did my first speech in February. Um, and then started to really double down and build a business out of it because I realized that you know a lot of people who speak have a lot of ulterior motives whether they're trying to sell something from the stage whether they're trying to to get you to join their mastermind or something there's always a lot of ulterior motives in that sense whereas I didn't have one and it was just how do I bring the most value to this specific audience and then I dubbed Gary V's speaking style by essentially doing improv and setting the framework for uh, an open-ended Q&A session so I when I speak like I don't I don't uh, I might have six words on a piece of paper that help me if I want to chronologically get a point across. Those words will help me stay in order. But besides that, it's I tell my story, um, pontificate some thoughts on whatever, you know, thesis is the is the, you know, the 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 the, the, the event. And then I like I've done q and I was at Rutgers before COVID and we did a three and a half hour Q&A, just like it wow. was. So awesome! Like, but that the Q and A lights me on fire because I don't, I don't hold anything back. So it's just like, whatever you ask, I got an answer for you. And if I don't know, I'm not afraid to say I don't know. And with putting out, with speaking, like hearing Gary Vee's thesis on content, a lot of people struggle with it because they don't know how to document their truths and all that type of stuff. But what I found out, just like him, is when I when I'm utilizing Q and A, every answer that I have to these questions is a piece of micro content for all of my platforms and that was my biggest hack and made content so effortless for me because i didn't have to think about content it was let me take this speech i just did last week and find the seven valuable pieces of content in it and extract it and post produce it to now because i know it's going to bring this group of people value because i'm answering a question on what's the difference if i want to invest in real estate do i need to have a real estate license like the answer to that question is a piece of content like at scale which is which was i realized that those two things kind of went in tandem and at the time i didn't have i didn't start perspective global media right when i retired it was just let me i'll keep continuously understanding attention in these platforms because i've never taken advantage of them ever and I'm still investing in buying real estate doing my thing in the cannabis space and when you're putting out content like that you're filtering out millions not millions but hundreds of inbound opportunities that you're trying to you know filter in that sense but then it's like let me focus down on something and what i realized is i did a i was testing a thesis on linkedin video outreach um which is a piece of advice to your audience if you're trying to get to anyone once you're connected with them on LinkedIn if you shoot them a 10 to 30 second video instead of a copy and paste automated message like most people it's a massive pattern disruptor and you're going to get about a 90 to 95 percent response rate so what I did was is actually I was testing the thesis that can I create my own speaking event two weeks beforehand and talk about the digital state of real estate um, and literally, I booked out a, the second floor of a wine shop, got a couple bottles of wine, some cheese, and all that type of stuff, and had about a list of about 400 real estate professionals in Detroit and sent them all connection requests on LinkedIn. And then sent them all a 10 second video saying, Hey, Scott, happy to be connected with you and be in your network. Hope my content brings you some value. Anything you ever need, don't hesitate to reach out. Have a great day. And if you responded to that, saying, Hey, Akeem, never got a video before. I'm going to steal that or nice to be you in your network. Like, let me know if I can ever do anything. So if you responded to that, then I shot you back another video saying, oh, by the way, Scott, I'm hosting an event called the Digital State of Real Estate on Eastern Market at this spot. Free wine, free food. would love for you to come. Here's the Eventbrite link to sign up. Boom. And literally in two weeks, got 40 people to show up and did this event. And I was like, first off, thesis proved that you could do a, a speaking event on LinkedIn I mean, just with nothing else except outreach on your own. And I realized after doing that talk how on fire I was and was like, one, a whole bunch of people were trying to work with me. And I'm like, I don't have anything to sell, to be honest with you. So like, reach out to me and I'll I'll bring you some more value. And like, you got questions about X, Y, and Z and, and building your brand in the real estate space. Then a month later, I did another one of those talks. And I was like, you know what? I'm starting a company. And I'm gonna uh-huh. see how I can bring value to these real estate professionals, um, and then I also wanted, I had a passion to work with small business owners as well. And uh-huh. <coughs> with that, picked up a couple clients, had some fun with it on that, on that, on that, uh, that realm of it. This is October of 2019, and when COVID came around, is when I made a pivot. I felt a little bit uncomfortable going too hard on outreach with a lot of the small businesses because everyone was in shock and I wanted to stay in motion at least like as a, as a company, And you know, we made a pivot into podcast production. So we essentially now focus on producing podcasts for financial advisors, real estate professionals and entrepreneurs. So we, as having extensive, you know, eight years of experience in the real estate space, I understand how archaic the content is there. And then quickly, I saw the parallel with the financial advisor space, because with compliance, a lot of them put out awful evergreen content that comes down from uh, that's compliance approved from the marketing department that no one is engaging with on any platform. But I convinced them this not convince them I paint a picture and offer a perspective tweak on how a podcast can bring them multifaceted value with lead generation. So if you're a financial advisor and you work with small businesses, instead of you know reaching out to them and saying, Let me sit down and talk to you about your employees 401k plan. Instead, I say reach out to like start a small business podcast, start a Cape Cod Small Business Podcast, interview every small business owner there. And because it hits a different endorphin when you reach out to them and say, Would love to have you come and tell your story on the Cape Cod Small Business podcast. Then let's go to Starbucks and talk about your employees 401k plans. Like that is like, I, I, it's a number one lead gen tactic for an FA. And then on the back end, the micro content that they can extract from each episode to put out on their platforms that has nothing to do with money advice, market advice that would get flagged by compliance, they can now put that type of stuff out at scale. That's, we've essentially just created an entire program system to, to work with those types of people and uh, continuously grow.
0: I, I think that is, I mean, you hit on so many, you know, key nuggets there. Um, One, be the disruptor, right? Don't just be that next message in the inbox, figure out a way to be different because that's ultimately what what separates you from the pack. And- scale the unscalable. Uh, That's exactly right. And and I think, you know, one of the things that we talk about um, at scale here is humanizing the technology, right? So you have this amazing vehicle that we stare back into that's ultimately smarter than we are in just three decades of evolution. And, And how do we take what makes us human and and find a balance there and find that symbiotic relationship between the social platforms and the algorithms and who me and you are as people chopping it up like we are right now. And I think that is such a, it's such a hard thing to do. And and it was really interesting watching the antiquated, sort of the older industrial way of doing things, try and cram into the digital world. And it was like, get that long paper out of here and it's like and i think you do a great job um which is sort of where checkpoint came from as well where it's like okay if hakeem if i just saw you online you're, you're a football player who's who's an entrepreneur now but what is the story behind that and when you can humanize that it get out of here, compliance, because this is now just human to human interaction. And so, man, I think that you guys are cracking the code. Everything that you're doing is not only um, you know, being uber prepared for the moment where you're at right now, but you have a vision into where things are going. Um, but I, I mean, the through line, Hakeem, what I picked with you is you're just unapologetically yourself. And uh, you know, I think through the trials and tribulations, you are just authentic. And um, you know, if you make it back to the league, I think that they need that right now because uh, you know there's a lot of just turmoil. Um, but and if you stay in the business world, right, like you're going to yeah, continue I to make us this if place. I
1: make it back, honestly. Man, <laughs> well, be cool uh, to make it back, obviously, but I could. I, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. it. Well,
0: and I, but I think the nuggets from the league you've already taken, right. So if you want to go back and set that goal, I don't think there's anything stopping you. But you've already. Taken so much from that experience and have applied it that um, I think, yeah, again, that's sort of a cherry on top if you make it back. So, um, so as we start to wind down, man, we could spend hours going and talking through each nugget here. Uh, you know, the cool thing with Checkpoint is we're going to be launching a subsequent series called Check In. So, Hakeem will be back on the show. Um, you know, we'll be able to see how uh, Prospect Globals do, and we'll be able to hear um, how they're navigating through. Um upcoming elections and social issues, and um, you know, really where we're going as a society. But before we let you go today, one question that we've been asking all of our guests, and I'm really excited to hear your answer, but if you could share one thing that you've done in your life that you would recommend the guests do or experience in theirs, what would that be, and why?
1: I'd say as a mantra of uh, the fortune is in the follow up. Um, so follow up with people. I think we're presented hundreds of millions of opportunities a day, thousands of opportunities a day, nobody follows up. You know, whether it's you're listening to your favorite show and the guest says, hey, any way to reach out to you? Uh, Yeah, I I answer all my emails. Just shoot me an email at at xyz.com. Or you get this card from someone or you have this uh, this idea and someone says, send over the deck or anything. Your average person is not following up. And I think all the fortune is in the follow-up not the initial introduction or meeting or conversation where you're usually overly excited, but then you don't follow up.
0: And that takes so many of the intangibles that you've collected along your journey. Um, And I would agree with you, right? That's how we ended up back on this phone on this line. I hit you a while back and I was like, Hakeem, I haven't forgot about you. I got to get you on the show. Um, And and now, you know, this is just the first of many, man. So um, for all the listeners out there, I highly, highly encourage you getting in touch with Hakeem, learning about real estate, especially as we're going through this shakeup, learning about how to modernize your process. Um, Please let the listeners know where they can find you on social, how they can get in touch with you um, so we can continue to uh, you know, spread some love for your company.
1: LinkedIn's probably the best place, just Hakeem Vallis. Um, I probably spend the most time there. And then, you know, my Instagram is hawkvalles80, H-A-K-V-A-L-L-E-S, number 80. Um, but, yeah, it might take me a, a little bit, but I get back to everyone.
0: Amazing. And, and he is a man of his word on that. Um, reach out to him. I highly encourage it. Hakeem from Check, Checkpoint, thank you so much for coming on. Um, this has been an incredible 45 minutes. Uh, until next time, all of you listeners, be sure to check yourself. Akeem, thanks again for coming on, man.